This is a topic we have held off on, but it's something we probably drank the most of. <laughs> Besides tequila. <laughs> this is liquid gold. All right, where the hosts forget to think and the drinks are pink. Welcome back hey. to liquid gold on a lovely springtime afternoon here in Nashville, Tennessee, high atop the towers here at Wedgwood, Houston. And we're right by Dozen Bakery, so you know we had to stop by there for some treats. We've got a baguette slung over our shoulders like a Parisian artist biking through the city. We have an old dog at our feet. We have a band rehearsing below us. There's a music session going on downstairs for, I think, one of the first times on this podcast, but... Uh, We'll get into that as well as many things. It's a very special topic today. I'm your host, Mike Wolf, along with... Hey there, I'm Kenneth. Kenneth Dedman. Kenneth, how are you today? How's the allergies treating you? It's, it's kind of a tough time of year. Yeah, it's pretty bad. It's pretty bad. Everybody's got advice about allergies. Everybody wants to tell you. Everybody wants to tell you what to do about your allergies. <laughs> no one will do anything for you, though. Like, if you want to help me with my allergies, you freaking take my car and put gas in it or some shit the thing that people always say that i think is like it would make sense and i want to believe it because i'm a naturalist uh people are like well take a take a little spoonful of local honey Mm -hmm. in theory you know it's like oh yeah because the bees they're out you know pollinating they're they're sipping nectar they're doing all these wonderful things and then they will in turn cure your allergies doesn't really work though no it's it's kind of pseudoscience but um we're here to talk about picnics we're here to talk about rosé this is the rosé episode we have a very special guest today todd johnson he's the beverage director at the thompson hotel right down there in the gulch a bustling area of all kinds of different people quite it's pretty incredible but todd welcome to the show how are you today i'm well thank you for having me thanks for thanks for being here you are a an amazing wine professional and basically what I've noticed in working with you a little bit over there is most of the, you know, pretty much any wine that you pick out, I'm going to like. So it's like <laughs> we have the Barrel X for Riesling. Yes. Boom. Yeah. I love that one. You're doing a lot with Rosé. It's Rosé Month. Yes. You're doing that at the Marsh House. We yeah. have Wine Wednesday going on. Mm-hmm. So tell us about Wine Wednesday and some of that. Yeah. So it's kind of just bringing something back that we had done in the past. In the past, we called it Conversations by the Glass, where we essentially just opened something fun up for a night of the week. Um, And it was something that's typically only by the bottle at a higher price, and we would pour it by the glass for, you know, significantly less expensive. Mm -hmm. And then just kind of talked about it. What I brought back is just making it simple, you know, sexy wine, buy the glass for a affordable price. Um, So each month I have a theme and then um, each Wednesday we open a bottle pertaining to that theme. Mm. Uh, April has been Rosé. Today is the last Wednesday of Wine Wednesday uh, featuring Rosé, but I will do something fun next month. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Okay. So you can check that out at the Marsh House and there's always Great rosés on the list. One of my favorite, the Grinnell. Mm, yes. On the list currently. It's a good one. Kenneth and I have crushed oh, wow, yeah. bottles of that. Long for, I, I forgot think even, about that. Yeah. Even when we didn't talk about it on the show, we've had it. Like, we've drank it on the show. It's one of those wines that, you know, I've, I've changed the by the glass menu many times over the years. 
you know, I, I opened the property and it's been six and a half years now, but Grinnell is wow. one of the longest standing by the glass placements I've had mm. just because it's such a good wine. It is. Yeah. It's hard to beat. And yeah. there, you get in an area, you know, Kenneth knows this working at Husk. Mm. We worked together there. I've worked uh, throughout Nashville, I think at places that did cater to tourists, but also really catered to locals. So I've seen, so you see a mix of wine drinkers, mm-hmm. be they tourists or locals. A lot of times with wine in restaurants, you get the tough to please people with wine. The Grinnell is the kind of wine that it's like, if you don't like Grinnell, I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, get it's it like out. strawberries and a picnic. <laughs> <Yes>. and, <laughs> uh, I, I like the idea of, uh, of that, uh, of having like premium wine uh, uh by the glass price like yeah. I always that's how i always like look out for like uh i don't know that i want like a glass of champagne if mm-hmm. someone's offering yeah. that like like real champagne for by sure. the glass every yeah, time I, I hop on it i mean it's kind of for the love of it you know because i'm not making much money off of this deal but i'm showcasing really cool wine that i have on my bottle list that people don't often think about drinking mm-hmm. or splurging on you know it's kind of interesting because I have a very unexpected rosé selection on my list, and some of them are $150 a bottle because they're, you know, a, a little bit more of a serious expression of rosé, which I'm sure we can mm. get into later. Oh, yeah, but, I want to get into that. Um, mm. But, yeah, people don't think of spending $150 on rosé because rosé is one of those categories that you just want to crush on the patio, which... I absolutely do too, but sometimes, yeah. you know, I want to think about it and yeah. kind of have something a little bit more elevated and unexpected. Well, and that seems to be, uh, as we did some research and looked into some booze news topics, which booze news will be coming up later. In some research, I noticed that that's where Rosé is really growing in that higher end mm-hmm. and in the sparkling side. Um, so it is nice when you find wines like the Grinnell, wines like uh, Brez. Breze, however you say it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I love that one when I can find it because, and it's great this time of year because you get the strawberries, you get the herbaceous notes, you get all these harmonious spring notes in so many of those wines that I think is great for this time of year. Now, do you look at it like that or do you look at it too like, well, we also need to be having rose in November? Yeah. You know, it's like early in the Thanksgiving feast, maybe. I think it kind of you know kind of has the same trend as sparkling wine or champagne people think of it as a celebratory thing but really like it's one of the most versatile wines that pairs with almost everything and i kind of feel like rosé has that same trend in the sense of it's a seasonal uh category to drink it but Mm -hmm. really you can drink it all year long because there are different levels and different you know expressions of rosé that are more appropriate for either the season or for what you're eating Mm -hmm. it seems to be one of the most versatile pairing wines especially the sparkling which that's another um you know really growing category and something that i love and you brought a rosé today that we're going to get into in just a second here i do want to throw out a shout out to uh fish wife we're they're not a sponsor or anything we do love their tin fish. We were turned on to them by Vilda Gonzalez, a chef down in Charleston, South Carolina. We got to throw a shout out to her. Ooh. She does amazing recipes and does some social media work for them. Apparently working on a cookbook. 
a lot of exciting things there. So shout out to Vilda down in Charleston. She does events. She will cater a party. She will cater a whole night with food and drink. You can find her on Instagram, Vilda Saski Gonzalez. And so that is V-I-L-D-A-S-A-S-K-I-A-G-O-N-Z-A-L-E-Z. Yes, um, on my way. Just go back. Okay, just use that little back button if you need to um, find her on Instagram. Check out all the stuff that Fishwife's got. We pick their stuff up at Dozens here in Nashville. Best um, baguette in town. Such a great baguette. Oh my god! And you also got the baguette at the right, like the perfect time mm, of day too. Yeah, fresh. You have like a, you have like a six-hour window after a baguette's baked. Let's see if we can get some crackle on the mic. That's pretty good. It's because it's, it's got fish on we it. We can but. turn it up, right? I think of rosé as a picnic wine. You know, not to be basic, but you no, do you guys like basic. picnicking? I mean, this is, we're, we're three grown men talking about picnicking, but let's yeah, sure. get after it. Sure. Um, like, uh, what do you like to picnic park, with? Like, uh, like in the parking lot? Yeah. You could picnic in a parking well, lot. Well, the thing about picnicking is mm. that you can't drink wine in public spaces. They're not here. supposed to. Well, you're yeah. not supposed to. Sure shit can. But, but, but I'm the person that is going to bring my stem to the picnic because mm. I mean I haven't said yet but I don't really drink out of stemless yeah no I'm sorry I'm sorry no, for it's that. okay it's okay They're just easy to travel with yeah no I love it <laughs> um but I'm traveling with my Zaltos nice yeah nice. of course I'm, you pic- are I'm picnicking with my Zaltos excellent yeah excellent do you have like one of those stakes that you can put in the ground and that you can kind of rest your glass on have you ever seen no, those no but I absolutely need that. you need one yeah, yeah. they make these little stakes you put them in the ground and so the stake goes in and then it's got this little curl off of it and then you just like you put your yeah, glass no, down and it's I, just like, like it I nestles see it in my head yeah I it's a nice little nestle need that it's on my Amazon list. Now. I love one of my recommendations on a picnic is to uh, go get Popeye's chicken mm. the night before. Put it in the fridge. Uh, okay. All right. So you got chilled po- uh, Popeye's chicken. So you don't have to go through the whole thing of like, I'm going to fry chicken for a po- for a picnic. That's a lot of effort. Like, let's be honest. Frying chicken and doing it well, it's difficult. Yeah. It's not easy. Yeah. Um, and you need, it takes a lot of care and attention. I'd rather just go to Popeye's, chill it, then take my time making some sides, make a nice slaw. Make a nice, maybe some deviled eggs, you know, mm-hmm. maybe, uh, maybe a nice like orzo salad, something like that. What else do you guys like to picnic with? Oh, I mean, Kenneth t- wants to ten, say 10 fish blunts. and baguette. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. T- uh, 10 fish and baguette. That, that'll work. Cheese, just fine. charcuterie. Cheese. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. All of which goes with rosé. Totally. I think recently all of my picnicking experience has just been like uh, grilling burgers in like a Target or Walmart parking lot. Grilling? You're <laughs> grilling at a picnic. So yeah, That's like, so manly. Uh, I kind of like adapted this whole like, uh, you know like the charcoal starters for um, mm. for, uh, for a grill? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, well, cylindrical? If yeah, if you're kind of mm-hmm. just like cooking for one or two people, you can just use one of those in a cast iron over the top. And uh, you can grill anywhere. Like uh, it's it's very portable. Yeah. So Walmart I usually parking lots. Yeah, I usually just keep one of those. Well, that's where I buy the charcoal. Oh, okay. And <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> and you're like, screw going to a green space. I'm here. Picnic. In the <laughs> just lot. gonna go to the parking lot. It, yeah, I've been I've done that so much that it oh. it got to a point where it wasn't like an a weird thing. Like like when people are looking at me, I'm like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> just hanging <laughs> the f- what are you looking What's wrong with at? you look like, at me i'm hungry yeah 
that's great. You know, the I will mention this. This had me thinking. Uh, the Dickerson, that that Walmart way out on Dickerson, North, mm-hmm. kind of North Nashville. There's that Lowe's. There's yeah. Door. There's a Lowe's next door. Enormous parking lot. Always mm-hmm. interesting things happening in in that parking lot. I have to say, I've noticed. Um, but there's also there is grass in that parking lot. Like parts of that parking lot have been around so long with nothing going on. Towards that back end, there's like grass growing because mm. I've seen people playing football like on that parking lot. There, you never know <laughs> what you're gonna see in that parking lot. Let me let me just say that that's a little insider knowledge for you here in Nashville. All right, we're going to open some rosé in just a second here. You can always, I forgot to mention, you can always check us out at liquidgold.show and check out all the podcasts that our producer, Michael Eads, has going on at weownthistown.net. And he's doing a lot of special stuff with the music show. He's premiering music, and um, he's been going strong with that for, gosh, what did he say? He said 14. (laughs) 14 years on the music show. Incredible. So do check that out at weownthistown.net. My first experience with rosé... As the train romantically billows in the distance, uh, was at grandma's house and going to restaurants with grandma, mm-hmm. where she would always order the white zin. So, as as a psalm, mm. how do you view that, and how did that become like that became how America drank rosé in like the eighties sure. and nineties, I think. But yeah. then it changed so much. But what's your take on white zin? You know, I think that's. <laughs> Part of the reason why a lot of America drank wine, period. You know, they. Uh, I think American palates started becoming accustomed to wine. A lot of producers started making wine that fit that palate, which I can't remember the statistic, but several years ago they found out that, I want to say like 90-something percent of the um, American people are buying wine and drinking it same day mm. rather than, you know, keeping the wine, stocking it and uh, pulling it whenever seems appropriate. Mm. Um, so producers started making bulk, inexpensive wine that could just be crushed same day. And, you know, maybe the American palate preferred something a little sweeter. So mm. they started, um, you know, adding sugar, adding things that made the wine a little bit more approachable. And then, unfortunately, a lot of, of, you know, really cool wines and expressions of wines like rosé or Riesling kind of went to the shits. Yeah. Um, and It then, affected the perception of yes, it very it much. Yes, it affected the perception. Mm-hmm. And now people uh, think of rosé as white Zinfandel because that's what they are familiar with. And that mm-hmm. what, that's what they've seen, you know, their grandmother drink and mm-hmm. their, their mom stock in the fridge growing up. And, um, you know, it's not inaccurate, but it's not what rosé is. Right. Um, I, I think white Zinfandel created this, its own category, you know, Zinfandel is a red grape. Yeah. And what is white Zinfandel? It's right. like, the white version of a red wine, which is rosé in its essence, but not a great representation of what rosé is as a category. To you as a psalm, when people are like, oh, well, why do I like rosé so much? Or why do you like rosé so much? Basically, let's just get to the basic question of like, coming from a psalm, like what is rosé? Yeah. I mean... Rosé is, is a lot of things, but getting down to... You know, Other than a lifestyle. To, <laughs> yes, it's absolutely a lifestyle. Um, but getting down to, you know, technically what rosé is, it's it's 
wine made with red grapes, but only spends a little time with the skin. So, you know, red wine gets its colors from from the skins of grapes. Um, you can essentially make white wine from red grapes if you don't macerate on the skins. Um, but rosé is kind of an in-between Z where it spends a little time macerating on the skins uh, to get that lighter pink hue mm-hmm. um, and then is fermented and made into wine. There's two main methods of making rosé. Direct press where you harvest red grapes intentionally for making rosé. Okay. Um, this is seen as a little bit more of a expensive and respected way of making rosé. Mm. Um, and then the second most popular method of making rosé is called the Sanye method, or uh, which essentially translates to bleeding, mm. um, where it's a, a byproduct of a red wine. So think of a tank of fermenting juice for red wine, maybe a little spigot at the bottom, drain some of that juice to concentrate what's in the tank for, you know, a a richer, bolder red wine, but take that juice that is run off from that tank, which is light pink or sometimes dark pink, um, and then ferment, take that to the side and ferment that. That's rosé making are from the Sanye method. Okay, cool, cool. Yeah. So you're you're fermenting it. They're fermenting the juice like a little bit and then separating it off, or are they pretty much separating it off before fermentation? So the fermentation is like thought of. Fermentation. Um, this is, is supposed to be rosé. Yeah, yeah. Well, fermentation is probably already starting. Yeah. But then you know, just to concentrate that red wine, it's pulled off, and it can probably spontaneous start or spontaneously start to ferment on its own because based on what's happening in that tank from the red wine. Cool. Yeah. Amazing. And then there's fun ways to make rosé, like mixing red juice and white juice. Yeah, do you see that like, at, a, at, a, at a high level? Like, um, uh, rosé is kind of like uh, a lot of the time, you know, like a lot of wine producers have like uh, traditional methods for like their reds and whites, mm-hmm. and they do the same, they do that the same every fucking year. Mm-hmm. And that's like what, they expect of themselves what the industry expects of them but yeah. then like so the difference is that you're tasting is, is climate and things like that yeah like i feel like a, a lot of rosés not always not always for sure mm-hmm. but like um it's like a like a technique freestyle for a lot of for a lot of wineries for sure. it seems like like it's the time of year that they're or this is the wine that they're like gonna try something different every year yeah mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Um, well hi- historically it was kind of the wine that winemakers set to the side and made for themselves to mm-hmm. drink mm-hmm. um and it was never a category that was produced and sold or right. offered to the public um it was something that just the farmers did or the winemakers did and they just like kept it for themselves and drank it at that's the interesting table. yeah yeah it's almost like the um like hanger steak like hanger steak and uh, yeah, yeah, hanger uh, fish steak. cheeks is a good one because like I remember one year being down in the Gulf and whenever we're down there buying it buying fish at the different markets I'm always looking for like grouper cheek things like that and mm-hmm. I started to notice like it was really hard to get because I had had grouper cheek before and just loved it and then I started to notice it was really hard to get and one of the um, people at the fish market told me they were like well 
we save those for ourselves. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so that's why yeah, you can't get it. Yeah. That's interesting that that's uh, part of the history of rosé. Yeah. I, I love that. Mm-hmm. And with that, let's open some rosé. So yes. let me go get that bottle. All right, yeah, we're going to open this bottle. Love that sound. The band has started. All right. nice in here <laughs> so i did the uh i already opened it did it did it in front of the mic you know got the got the nice sound effect um we have to mention this is a very nashville moment as we have a music session going on downstairs and the band you might have heard them playing a little bit ago um but we saw a few incredible musicians loading in one of whom is luke schneider a pedal steel player we saw him loading in a minute ago and i just want to throw a shout out to him he's got a few albums in my library uh, one of which is Altar of Harmony was a solo record that he did that solo pedal steel with like ambient textures incredible record do check it out if you're into pedal steel and then he also did um, an EP with guitar player William Tyler who was in Lamb Chop and does amazing guitar records on his own they did a record together called Understand um, so Luke Schneider down below us <laughs> making some music Luke Schneider we'll sounds see. like a sounds like a pedal steel guitar t- player's name Definitely. Like, I'm what else are you going to do in life with that kind of name? You're not going to be a teacher. No. <laughs> Pedal maybe, steel player maybe, in Nashville. Maybe a gym coach. <laughs> maybe a coach fucking Schneider. winemaker. <laughs> All right. We have an, an incredibly lovely pink-hued. Man, this has like a little bit of orange to it. Yeah. What are we drinking right here, Todd? Yeah. Tell us about it. So this is a rosé from a producer that I've really liked for many years um they only came became available in the nashville market like maybe three-ish years ago i feel like it was post-pandemic i could be wrong but i always bought wine from them and got it mailed in uh for years um i kind of really like so it's a, a producer called forlorn hope run by a guy named uh matthew rorick which he's really into kind of I wouldn't put him too much into this like hipster natty wine culture. However, he was, you know, in this new school, California, making minimal intervention wine. Uh, His thing is sourcing from unexpected places in California um, and using unexpected grape varietals. Uh, So I always thought that was kind of cool. His rosé is very interesting because like I kind of mentioned, Rosé is a category that is made and intended to drink current vintage. You want it to be bright, refreshing, crushable, um, approachable. And, you know, you can get into this category of a little bit more of a serious rosé that can take some age um, and might get better with a little bit of age. Uh, I think his inspiration behind this rosé is a very famous rosé that can be very expensive. Uh, from a producer in Rioja of Spain uh, called Lopez de Heredia. They make a Gran Reserva Rosé that can take age, and typically it spends around four years in oak or uh, concrete or whatever it is before they even release it, and then it spends time in the bottle for several more years before it comes available um this one obviously that is his inspiration behind it um probably not as you know aged and um highly sought after but 
I, I really admire that inspiration because that's Lopez de Heredia is one of my favorite, you know, producers from Spain that is making very classic expressions of Rioja. But yeah, so this is a 2018, so it has a little bit of age, especially considering that it's rosé. Um, and I think that's where a lot of that kind of coppery, fun mm-hmm. color comes from. But yeah. Awesome, man. This is great. This is super unique, too, I mm-hmm. feel like. Because um, yeah. what I first noticed was it had some weight to it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Some it's real vis- weight to it. Viscous. And then it does see some oak. Or did it? You know, I couldn't find information on that aspect of the winemaking process. Um, I just feel like there's a caramely kind of butteriness to yeah, it that, that yeah. you don't always get from yeah. like a rose of that color. Yeah. You know, it's like totally. almost like the color throws you off a little bit. Yeah. Because then you taste it and you're like, oh, yeah. Oh. It did say stainless steel, but it didn't yeah. say anything about oak. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if it just used like a touch of neutral oak just to give it that like richness and mm-hmm. kind of structure. But yeah. Do you think that that um, its age has has anything to do with that kind of weightiness? Do you see that? Absolutely. Adding, uh, yeah, like even kind of textural notes like that? Totally. Yeah. I, I think as wine ages it tends to you know kind of broaden out and get more like breadth to it Mm -hmm. um sometimes like you can lose acidity with age but what makes a wine ageable i think one of the most important and important factors of that is that it has a lot of acidity to kind of you know take it through you know its adventure Mm -hmm. years down the road to hold up Mm -hmm. yeah um so this has acid, but I think the age, it probably has kind of broadened out and got a little bit more weighty and viscous on the palate. So this is almost this like is the, the This cool... is one of the richest rosés I've had yeah. in recent memory. Oh, great with this, this salmon situation we have going yeah. on. I should probably ask a question before I start eating. Um, <laughs> is this like the, this is like the quirky but seasoned indie band that's like influenced <laughs> by Zeppelin 4? Or something, you yeah, know, like yeah. If I mean, he's if he's influenced by you know that uh, Lopez de Heredia, amazing name and wine, yeah. Forlorn hope they've got uh, skulls and flowers on the label, so like I'm into that already. Yeah. That could be a that could be a metal band. Yeah, he he calls a lot of his wines uh, rare creatures because you know, like I said, that's kind of his focus. It's weird grape varietals. This is actually a blend of Portuguese grape varietals coming oh, wow. from california so uh kind of unexpected um but definitely has that you know iberian vibe that you would see in rioja yeah um, um so when you mentioned that he's making wine from areas in california that are kind of unexpected mm-hmm. um you mentioned these portuguese grape varieties but what what are those areas that when you see a wine from that area you're like oh huh i haven't you know i haven't experienced yeah. that or are there areas in california that maybe everyday wine drinkers don't know about that are producing great wines like central coast stuff or totally i i think the the most familiar when people think of california wine is napa and sonoma which obviously has a lot of expected wine coming from these areas um you know cab being really big pinot noir uh chardonnay but considering california as a mediterranean style climate you, you have an expectation of what grows there and what has grown there and what kind of expression you're getting from these wines. But um, if you go elsewhere in California, maybe like a little bit more inland, you can find 
weird things sometimes. There's Sierra foothills, I think, um, definitely hotter, but can grow Rhone varietals or more hot climate wines or grape varietals. Um, This is coming from Amador County, which you don't often see or hear a lot, but uh, you can apparently you can find some weird Portuguese grape varietals there. That's cool. Yeah, a lot of those parts of, say, like lush, um, not typical wine regions in California. It's just like a matter of like uh, a farming. Um, Yeah, absolutely. So like, uh, say, like Sacramento Valley, certain parts of it is like so lush, but that's also like where all like the world's strawberries come from. And it's worth that like that that acreage is worth so much more because they can kick out this many strawberries yeah. and then like so like wine gets kicked off to the side and like yeah, uh, I didn't know that. it's bizarre it's bizarre to think about it yeah but like uh if they're doing strawberries they're producing seem to be like, a great place like, to do rosé i mean it's like over <laughs> like 60 percent of like america's food come from like uh california yeah like uh yeah there's all kinds of climates there and you know if you think about the Sierra foothills may maybe it's like too deserty and too dry and like hot but if you're using good farming practices and you're potentially harvesting earlier to maintain some of that kind of freshness and high acid then you can make pretty stellar wine out of it pretty impressive what are some of your favorite pairings for rosé i mean this this Mm. wine right here i feel like you could do a lot with this because you could do a pretty pretty intense like fish seafood totally dish i, I feel like um, this yeah with the the weight and kind of structure of it you can do a lot of maybe even richer dishes like I mean, octopus or yeah, like, like octopus. Uh, i mean i, I could do like go some like portuguese pork oh you yeah. know like mm-hmm. go like fatty and rich because mm-hmm. this has acid that could yeah. cut through that but also like the the weight and body that you would want with you know that yeah. rich of a a meal but classically you know i kind of like the pink with pink like Mm -hmm. salmon Mm -hmm. is a very classic pairing for rosé and i think it's you know delicious which yeah i like this vibe you know the the tin salmon and this is this is good stuff i'm falling a duck right now i drink oh yeah i do duck yeah absolutely that'd be cool nice little like crispy fat layer Mm. when i did that duck for thanksgiving i bought two of them and uh I forgot about it. It was in the freezer like last night. Perfect. Figured like yeah. day off. Yeah, through talking rosé. Moved it on down to the fridge. Mm. You gonna grill it in a Walmart parking lot or what? <laughs> Possibly. Maybe. So, what are some other areas for you when you're out buying rosé or thinking about rosé? So, we talked a little bit about Grinnell and the Loire Valley, and mm-hmm. um, that's a really special area. But yeah, what are some areas that that you love for rosé? Mm-hmm. Uh, France being probably the biggest producer of it, but totally. uh, yeah, what what kinds of regions all over the world are you looking at that are great for rosé? It's it's funny because I um, my buying wine practices are very all over the place. It's funny. I I feel like a lot of people that know me know that I basically only drink white wine. When I'm drinking, I mostly drink wine. And mm. probably when I'm drinking wine, it's 95% white wine. That's cool. I um, get it. But yeah, no, I'm kind of an acid fiend. I mm. want like bright and intense and refreshing. Mm-hmm. But I would definitely throw rosé in into that 95%. Um, obviously less than just regular white wine. But I think, you know, since it's chillable and bright and refreshing, that's definitely like what I like to drink. Yeah. 
when I buy rosé, I like to find out and I like to experience something that I haven't before. So I, I tend to lean towards something that's going to be unexpected like, like this. Yeah. Um, when I found out his inspiration behind this Forlorn Hope rosé, then I'm like, yeah, I'm down. Mm-hmm. And maybe I'll like try to sit on it for a few years to see what it's going to do. But if I'm thinking something just like bright and refreshing and crushable, I typically buy wine by expressions of rosé made in Loire Valley. Yeah. Loire Valley is probably one of my favorite wine producing regions in the world just because it's a colder climate. You know, you got that classic French aspect of winemaking practices and restrictions and habits. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Yeah, I, uh, there's a lot of producers that I like to drink white wine from in Loire Valley. And if they make a rosé, I'm like, yeah, I'm doing it. Yeah, yeah. What is it about the Loire Valley? So there's the cold climate, mm-hmm. there's the rich history. But I also, I feel like there's, while there's like a rigid kind of traditionalism to it, there's also seems to be also like newer people coming to the fore, mm-hmm. um, newer ideas we talked about the magic or the Grinnell and uh, we had talked a little bit last week at work about one of the things I love, the story of the Grinnell there. They built all these streets below that city where the streets below the city outnumber the streets above the city. And what, uh, while that was like a, a wartime project for the French military, it became where all the, the wine would be aged. Yeah. Um, so there's a bunch of, wine just tons and tons of wine aging under the city which is kind of romantic i love that um but uh yeah what is it about the loire valley that is so special because they're they're so aromatic totally they're so they have such character well i it's kind of a unique wine producing region in france because a lot of well first of all it's you know probably one of the more northern regions or you know, major regions other than Champagne. Champagne's probably the most northern, but it's actually decently close to the Loire. And what's unique about the Loire is that it goes from the coast west to east rather than north to south, which most regions in France are going north to south. Most of them follow follow some type of body of water or are coastal. Um, this is following a river uh, that starts at the coast, kind of like the bluffs of Brittany and Mm. uh, go in kind of separating into like four major quadrants um, all you know having a slightly different uh, focus in what is produced there and what's you know coming out of there but being so northern it's colder so it has to be strategically planted to grapes that are gonna do well in colder climates which Um, If you think about that, it's going to be higher acid grape varietals, which if you think about it again, it's going to be mostly white wine. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, Obviously, you can get tons of amazing red wine coming from the Loire Valley, but um, I think it's it's unique because it can produce such ageable, incredible, uh, unique expressions of white wine. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, that's why I like it. Yeah. Yeah. It's just there's something about it. And then you also have Provence, mm-hmm. known for rosés, yeah, which I don't know if they, to me, the ones that I've had over the years, like 
they're they're usually lighter. It seems mm-hmm. like there's like a finesse going on to mm-hmm. them. Maybe a little bit of herbaceousness. But yeah. what do you feel about that particular region? Absolutely. Um, I think um, you know I would say Provence is the most famous rosé producing region. Yeah. And I think a lot of people caught on to that, and that's why you know now it's blowing up. Um, even with the the soccer moms and the Brentwood moms, they mm-hmm. they they are asking for French rosé, which most of the time, cheers to them. They're they, <laughs> yeah, about time. No, absolutely. Oddly, I'm so glad to hear that. <laughs> most of the time, they mean Provençal rosé, and you know, one of my famous or one of the most famous and my favorite rosé producers is uh, Domaine Tampier, yeah. uh, which is probably, you know, like one of the most premier producers of rosé. They make um, rosé in Bandol, which is an appellation within Provence, uh, kind of like a upper tier when you're in Provence as a, you know, category. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, they... Um, they have the ability to produce a little bit more of a serious rosé. Um, some producers out of Bandol um, age their wine in oak, so you get this richer texture, and they make them ageable. Domaine Tampier, I think, aged their wine in oak many, many years ago, but since then it's all um, concrete and steel. So they're kind of leaning into that like brighter and fresher expression. It has body, but it's so ragingly high in acid that it's just like, you know, Mm. can do whatever you want Rosé to do. But yeah, I I think it's one of those things that it's always going to be dry. It's going to be herbaceous. It's going to have that kind of like terroir that you would expect from Provence, like olives and herbs. Mm -hmm. They tend to be a little peachy, which is kind of fun. Yeah. So something, this is controversial. So we, you know, sometimes Uh we get controversial in the show. I got a couple hot takes. One hot take being that is sparkling rosé just better than champagne? Because there's a lot of spark. I mean, I know there's like, like, like uh, rosé, sparkling rosé or like versus rosé champagne. Yeah. Is, is sparkling Uh. rosé just an, you know, there's so many affordable, there's so many great affordable options. Yeah. I feel like it's a better move than rosé champagne. I mean, yeah, but champagne is just <laughs> champagne. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Okay, well, that's I, there, good. We need we need an official, definitely official some Psalm opinion that, on like, that. Like, I would yeah. hold up to, like, some champagnes, I guess. Like, uh, I'll give them that award. I'll give plenty of them an award for... Yeah, yeah, for totally. attaining, yeah, attaining um, deliciousness, a, a reverence, yeah, like yeah. getting champagne. close to those heights, yeah. yeah. And do you feel so? Do you feel like that is the um, the the methods that they're using? Absolutely, that that are so yeah key to that. I mean, a lot of good sparkling wine around the world is using method champenois or the traditional method, which is what they use in Champagne. But I think there's just you know, there's more of an expectation of what champagne is. Um, a lot of the times it's coming from assemblage where, where they're, um, before they do the second fermentation in the bottle to get the bubbles, they're making hundreds of still wines that they then blend to get the right flavor, to get the right balance, the right structure, whatever they're going for. Then they bottle it and then put it through that second fermentation. So it's like, you know, thought behind so many different still wines aged and fermented in different ways to create one singular product. I think it's just a little bit 
you know, obviously there's like some champagne that's going to be lesser and some champagnes that's going to be greater. Uh, same with sparkling wine. Like there's some really incredible sparkling wine out there and there's some that is just, you know, meant to be light and crushable. But Yeah, meant to be every day. Yeah. It reminds me a little bit and maybe chartreuse is the champagne mm. of spirits mm-hmm. or champagne is the chartreuse of wine mm. because they're mm-hmm. they're growing these different things. They're picking them at different times. Yeah. They're grabbing things from the wild. They're turning those into extracts mm-hmm. in their in their own way yes. and maybe treating some of them differently. Maybe we're going to take some of these flowers and we're going to do a, an extract this way. Maybe we're going to take this thing and we're going to... Uh, dry it a certain way, then make the tincture. Then we blend it all a certain way. Then we macerate that blend over here. Then we do this. So it's it seems kind of similar yeah, where it's so like it's terroir end up in the final product. But it's yeah. also mastery of yeah. like technique. And yeah. So do you view what's going on in champagne as partially or mostly like technique and you know almost like you know, it's like we talked about the non-interventionalist mm-hmm. style, which is just like, well, let's just see what the juice does. Mm-hmm. Let's let it be itself. Mm-hmm. It's almost like uh, Montessori parenting or something. It's like, well, yeah. let's just see. We'll see what happens. And like whatever, whatever, whatever it turns out, it's going to be beautiful. Yeah. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's it's hard to relate that to champagne because it's so like rich in history and everything is so structured there like how they're growing the grapes and how the grapes are treated while they're growing and then where those grapes are being sold to or you know where they're being made into wine um and you know now we have this whole faction of grower champagne versus big house champagne versus negociant champagne and you can you can see the different stylistically um differences of each of these types of champagne producers and there's an expectation of technique as well like you know how are you assembling these still wines to be in the final product and what is your focus is it the grape varietal is it the blend is it the elevage or like you know how it's aged is it in oak is it in stainless steel yeah i think that that part absolutely makes a difference um, but it's very different and structured and expected from each producer, each area of champagne. All right. My other semi-hot take here with, as it pertains to rosé, wine in general, France. We're talking about France. I love French wines. You love French wines. They drive a lot of the rosé conversation. But one thing that I wonder, and uh, I want to get your take on too, is like it seems like American tastes and the way that Americans go towards wine it seems like you know there's more people like acidic wines more people like food friendly wines more people are getting into rosé do you think that those tastes those american tastes are affecting uh, how french winemakers view how they make their wine how they harvest their wine does it affect their thinking are they like we make our wine the way we make it fuck you and your trump <laughs> as Kenneth was saying off mic. Uh, but yeah, what, what's your take on that? I think yes and no. Mm. I think yes to an extent that they don't want to admit. Mm. I think, um, you know, they see themselves as the traditionalist, the, the big taste boy in the maker. Room. Yeah. Yes, the big boy in the room of, uh-huh. of all wine that exists. Um, but the American market is 
crushing wine. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. why wouldn't you want to tap into that? And if you have to slightly change practices here and there, then I think that's absolutely happening. But they don't really talk about it because they're not going to admit that they are changing things for the American palate. But yeah, I think it definitely happens. I, I, I know there's absolutely very traditional historical producers in France that aren't changing a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, I think the perception of wine in American culture is very different than European. I think there's there's kind of this elitism thing that's attached to wine in general. Mm-hmm. Um, and unfortunately, it's kind of dictating the perception it trickles down mm-hmm. you know there's these very rich people that are told that wine is something that is to be associated with with their class and with how much money they have and they are told that this wine is good and this wine is what i need to be buying and spending money on and sometimes it's an american producer that isn't good it's just expensive yeah um and i think there are producers in france that kind of hit that same category things have changed historically like over centuries essentially and now they're producing this wine that is supposed to mimic what these people are wanting and investing in and buying so yeah yes and no yeah interesting so two-parter the first does the like growth in rosé and people's willingness to kind of get after it and crush it does that surprise you and then also what has surprised you about wine and the way that people are drinking the trends in wine where wine's going you know if you're looking if you're going back to when you first um started to open stuff at the marsh house and the thompson hotel and all that what stands out to you like that's changed in the business and the industry. Yeah, I mean, I think rosé has absolutely changed and people are starting to accept that rosé is most of the time dry and most of the time delicious. Mm-hmm. I think there are a couple things that are, you know, maybe sad misconceptions about rosé in particular is um, people are for some reason very um, into light colored rosés. I think they think that lighter colored rosés are going to be drier. Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. I was going to ask you about the yeah, color of which things. Which is because very weird. I've, yeah. definitely, I've, I've heard people say that. Yeah, tell me that before. I've, I was, I've, I've always been like, I I've don't had know. People, like, uh, color is like. Yeah, uh, I know. It's, I don't know, it's what, so what strange. If what if you were blind and you wanted a rosé? Like, <laughs> I mean, just put it in your mouth. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I, I've definitely had people order rosé and then I bring out the bottle and they're like, oh, no, that's too dark. <laughs> which is so strange to me. I'm like, this this is a lot of I ways promise you, you exactly what you want. Like, turn down the lights. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, that's definitely a misconception. Uh, but other than that, I think Rosé has absolutely, you know, come, come back. Not entirely. I don't think everybody is hip to it. I definitely still get people coming in and, you know, taste rosé. They're like, oh, it's, it's not sweet. I'm like, yeah, rosé doesn't have to be sweet. Yeah. But wine in general, I think palettes have changed, um, especially in Nashville. I think there's this natural wine movement kind of 
moving around mm-hmm. hitting big cities and i think it's definitely hit nashville um For sure. i think there's pros and cons to this mm-hmm. movement yeah let's get into it i think that it has made wine more approachable mm-hmm. especially to you know my generation the millennial generation mm-hmm. um, which is great because these people are now spending money on things like wine mm-hmm. um, and they um, are getting into wine and learning things about wine that they formerly wouldn't have and they like good wine but at the same time i think the negatives of this movement is that people latch on to hipster natty funky like tastes like kombucha like Mm -hmm. volatile acidity it doesn't work it's not good wine but Mm -hmm. they're like oh it has a funky label it's made by a local artist and and they're like oh yeah well it's small production it's hard to get it's Mm -hmm. you know they only made 30 bottles of this and Mm -hmm. you know it's not good wine and they think that like if it's funky and they have to think about it then it's good yeah but it's not. There's like, <laughs> you know, I, I think natural wine or making is a practice that's been used for a very long time. And, you know, I'm throwing it back to France, but they've been, there's certain producers in certain areas that focus in minimal intervention and don't manipulate the wine, mm-hmm. but they don't call themselves natural because yeah. they're producing very classic expressions, very clean expressions. But, it's essentially the same. They're yeah. just not making funky kombucha. Yeah, yeah. and they're yeah. like, "Well, if I called it something else, that's stupid." Yeah, you know, yeah, it's like just they what don't really doing. just like they yeah. just call it. Yeah, like uh, like um, I, I usually just assume um, um, most of them are natural, or like uh, or if they are, then the, yeah. like a French, like say like some Beaujolais and stuff, mm-hmm. like like they don't. Yeah, they totally don't say that. But I know yeah, a lot of the ones natty. that I'm getting that's are, a are natty totally region in France are totally like. Uh, yeah, totally natural. It's not going to be on the label. It's just assumed. Yeah, it's like, but, you know, it's like the person who doesn't use deodorant. You know, like sometimes it's not that big of a deal. Sometimes yeah, it is. Sometimes, sometimes you're like, is. ah, sorry. <laughs> Might want to not be so natural. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Um, how did you get into wine? How did this whole mm. journey start for yeah. you? Um, you know, was it like, uh, was it an ocean spray? Ocean spray. Uh, <laughs> you know, Sea you're smoke. sitting there as like a, an eight year old kid <laughs> drinking ocean spray. And you're like, man, there's something about this liquid. Um, <laughs> you know, it's uh, kind of a progressive story. There was no like aha moment where like I'm going into wine. Yeah. You know, I think growing up, I only ever saw my parents drinking wine, you know. Um, so it all, I think that kind of sparked a curiosity when I was younger. Also, I think it has to do with my perception of wine. I think wine is this kind of living, breathing thing. It's a, uh, it's, it's a captured moment in time and place. And you are drinking that captured moment, uh, depending on what you're going for, the style, style of what was intended for that experience to be had. Um, so rewind i grew up um you know my mom was really into gardening Mm, and growing things so i think that very much um kind of relates to my perception of wine uh because i've always been interested in in plants and how things grow and how you can make them grow 
a certain intended way. Mm. Um, and wine is also like this very natural thing, you know, it's things that have grown from the ground and then you're harvesting that essentially, you know, um, sexual organ of this plant. Mm. And then it goes through this natural process, which is fermentation. And then you just bottle it and it, is alive and it's changing in the bottle until you know it essentially dies mm -hmm. or you drink it yeah the bottle gets empty um, yeah but yeah i i worked in restaurants you know starting in high school and going into college and i was very much that business student i immediately declared accounting as my major going into college and you know going into college it's your, the first time that you're independent and you learn a lot about about yourself and the more i got into accounting the less i liked accounting yeah and by the time i graduated and finished i got a job right of, out of school and i hated it mm. i was burnt out wasn't my thing so i went back to restaurants and by this time i had kind of gained uh, a decent appreciation for wine um and then i decided that i want wine to be my thing and Cool. I moved back to Nashville because I'm from Nashville. Mm. And, um, what up? Yep. <laughs> we got a um, couple of them in the room. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it never happens. Um, but that was the time that City Winery was opening. Mm -hmm. Um, and I got hired as the lead psalm there. Oh, cool. And then I eventually, um, took the beverage director position there. Um, and then I left to open the Thompson. And yeah. here we are. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Awesome. For people that, are interested in getting more into, you know, restaurant people that are interested in getting like certification, mm -hmm. getting more into that side of things, what would you recommend? Yeah. You know, as like a path. You know, I think um, being around wine is really important. I have studied with the Court of Master Sommeliers and it's funny, I, um, you know, intro, in my opinion, an easy step. Mm-hmm. But I, I was thinking from the perception of someone that's worked in the service industry for many years. Mm -hmm. And one of my friends that, um, this was several years ago, she um, runs a, a flower shop in town and she was like, I'm thinking of doing it. I think it'll be a lot of fun. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. It's so easy, go do it. And she's never worked in restaurants. So she didn't have that base expectation or knowledge that you know I would would have suggested mm -hmm. um and she didn't do well she didn't get it mm -hmm. but i think you know being around it is important um but i think at the same time that's how kind of people gain an appreciation or passion for it i think if you choose that direction there's a lot of reading a lot of self-studying mm -hmm. um but i always tell people that you know you can read a textbook or book all day um, but you really have to get in there and taste the wines and taste what you're learning about. Mm -hmm. Is wine a thing? So we talked about this with coffee before, and it just fascinates me as the train continues to billow <laughs> outside the window high atop the studios in Wedgwood, Houston. Um, the reason i say that goes back to uh when when i was in radio in denver we were uh we would say high atop the tower above the old spaghetti factory <laughs> it was kind of a joke but we were on the third floor <laughs> we we're on the third floor but we would say high atop because it was just nice to say <laughs> made you feel like you're in the studio on the top of a building um anyway where was i um We've talked about this with coffee before how, and it's fascinating how, um, like with coffee, if there's banana plants 
banana trees growing nearby. Mm-hmm. It's going to affect the, the taste of the coffee. The coffee is going to have banana notes. If there's uh, a cherry tree nearby, if there's apples nearby, if there's blueberry plants, mm-hmm. you see it all over in the world of coffee. Do you see so, uh, similar things like that in wine? Or is it like, well, this, this region's known for, like we talked about Provence a little bit, you know, the herbs the, that they're known for in that area. Um, which is uh, plays a role in the soil in that area mm-hmm. and what it can produce. Do you see that with wine that certain tasting notes are from you know that region because yeah. that's what grows there? Do you see that in uh, wine as well? Absolutely. Yeah. I think that I is think that stuff's fascinating. One of the biggest things about wine as a category and you know alcohol, it has to do with the microorganisms that live in the land and the soil that these vines are growing. You know, these microorganisms change what lavender and Provence tastes like. Mm-hmm. And so they're going to do the same thing to the vines of the grapes that are growing there. So, yeah, it's it's a wild thing. And obviously, like, microorganisms that, like, around the world are going to be, like, vastly different in certain places and certain locations and microclimates and all of that. But, yeah, it's such a fascinating thing about wine everything's connected everything's Um, connected and uh speaking of everything being connected we have to turn things over you ready yeah yeah all right and the time has come for (laughs) 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 booze news with kenneth deadman the wine is pink but can kenneth keep drinking it that's good good I will. Kenneth, your glass is empty. Your mind is full. What's boozeworthy out there? French fire season has just started, my friends. Oh, wow. And, uh, yeah, the the Vandals is on fire right now. Like, something like, uh, I I don't think any, like, they didn't mention anything expensive. It's probably just, like, forest. But, like, uh, it's spreading into Spain. First fire of the season is, like, uh, the earliest um, fire season has ever started in France. Reminding me, reminding me Thanks of like 2020, 2020 was twenty twenty one in California when uh, when it started right around the same time. It was like uh, late April or twenty twenty was it was like late April and May. Um, like uh, Northern California went up pretty pretty freaking bad. The world's on fire, literally and figuratively. That's crazy. Uh, to um, 2,500 acres so far. Earliest fire season on record. Okay. Ohio Winery. Luvabella Winery in Ohio. Coincidentally, you might, maybe you know this, Todd. I don't before know about a lot of Ohio wine. Before uh, Prohibition, Ohio and New, uh, the state of New York were the largest wine producers in the United States. I didn't know that about the about New York. I didn't know that about yeah, Ohio. Yeah, like uh and anyone in Ohio, I swear I swear dude like you know like uh, when you when you meet someone from Ohio like yeah. they remind you that they, they're from Ohio <laughs> like over and over like and they talk about this. Yeah, that's like yeah. one of my fun facts. So it's like kind of like how I tell them to fuck off. It's yeah. like, "Oh, hey, fun fact about Ohio." <laughs> Before prohibition, fucking wine. <laughs> All right, uh, Luva Bella Winery, about uh, it's like 80 miles southeast of Cleveland, 
who makes a uh, uh, Concord grape wine um, uh, that they've been calling Purple Rain oh, Concord. Um, See, that's not off, even wine grape. That's off dry. They're claiming Labrusca, it's a different species. Off dry. They're claiming. Yes, I don't know. Thirteen point two five percent ABV. That that surprises off me. Off dry for Concord. I Concord mean, grapes. Yeah. I guess like no, totally. It's called chap- capitalization. They're adding sugar mm. so that can ferment longer. It's a eight dollar. They're bottle. capitalists. Jeez. Chap- <laughs> Um, where was I? <laughs> Eight dollar bottle. Uh, Louvabella Winery is um, being sued by by uh, Prince's estate for <laughs> for uh, selling wine using his image. Oh. I feel Purple like their estate rain. is exhausted. They're always having to sue people. Like you can't, you know, make money off of it if they can, you know. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, they got to do it, but it just seems like they need exhausting make, keeping like, up with that. He blew all their money, that. right? That's blew the word. On, blew it on pills. Mm, yeah. That's sad. God bless him. Rest yeah. in peace. We love Prince. Dude, he didn't really, he didn't hurt nobody. No, he played basketball and was the greatest guitar player to ever live. So he, in my book, he's a hero and always will be. That's like separate for like. Uh, Plus he played every like instrument. He was like a phenomenal drummer. As a, as a musician. You know, like when I served him, uh, he didn't drink. He doesn't wow. drink. He he bought he bought a bunch of champagne for everyone that he was with, kept a glass a full glass. But then when everyone wasn't looking, he would like dump it in this FICA tree right here, and then come to me like I was like he knew that I was watching him do that, and like I was cool. I was, like I, it's not like I was, he's got a like a show to do later that night. He's probably got a basketball game after that, and then he's gonna cook everybody pancakes. I've heard. Of I've told him. you about that, right? Have I told you about uh, waiting on Prince? I don't think so. He came in. I'm glad a, for the sidebar, though. He came in and he had a cane, like and a, a cane. gold cane. Of course he did. And he just like hands it to me. It's <laughs> like champagne. <laughs> and I was like, what a way I to take his cane and I like put it behind the bar. I like set it down yeah. and I'm like, he gave whatever, me his cane. Whatever you want, Prince. Oh my god! Like uh, he hung out. Like there were some like lower level like celebrities with him at the time, but I don't I don't really remember their name and it didn't matter. Like it, it was it was just hit his his thing yeah. yeah but yeah he was dumping the champagne out there's like five bottles or so of uh what like white star or something like that he was probably i don't want this tree to die and he just rolled out like he <laughs> at, well, at some point at like some point tree. he just decided like it was there was no method or anything he didn't like say like y'all feel like going and getting burgers or are y'all hungry? like nothing he just like out. walked out <laughs> <laughs> and like everyone followed him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then his manager comes back. He's like, uh, Did we pay? He's like, uh, Let me get that cane. <laughs> Out of the cane. Uh, I was like, almost yeah. left like, the cane. My, he gave me the cane. He was like, Uh uh-uh. uh. <laughs> wow. You he, almost he was like, had wait, the he, fucking cane. No, no. Oh. No, I well, totally did. Pretty didn't. close. Like, He almost left I What if you did, though? God, I don't know. Man, like uh, it was so close. It was before better. eBay, but it would have uh, gone probably, likely, immediately to something like that. Yeah. Not that there weren't any online auctions at the time. <laughs> so I looked into some rose stories, um, and I just wanted I just want to mention some some interesting uh, headlines that I saw. The girl who always drinks rose wants you to know these seven things. That's from Elite Daily from four years ago. Uh, yes, okay. Um, then there's another one. 
Paul Edwards in the West Australian, real men drink rosé. All right. And then Vice had a story back in 2015. Drinking rosé isn't just for girls anymore, bro. Bro was in the headline. Mm, that wasn't my bro. Cool. Um, an Eater article, rosé is exhausting <laughs> in 2017. Exhausting? That was pre-pandemic. What? Like, they don't know what exhausting was. <laughs> rosé is not exhausting. And then uh, what was another one? Oh, another one that I want to do, do want to talk about and get Todd's take was wine lovers go wild for TikTok trend of infusing your glass of rosé with sliced jalapeno pop peppers. Um, that's you mean like garnishing it or like you uh, just like taking the rosé, like throw it in, it. throw so, it into the fridge overnight with yeah, some jalapenos, or like I feel I, like you don't even need it with jalapenos. Yeah, I think so you could just wait like, five minutes, yeah. Yeah. strain it out, and it's going to be spicy. What do you think about? That's kind of blasphemous, right? That is blasphemous. I mean, I mean, you know, just... I, I have opinions about people doing things to wine. I mm -hmm. think mimosas kind of fall into that category, but at the same time with mimosas, you're not drinking good sparkling wine right. most of the time. Right. But back in the day, I used to pour Henriot champagne bottomless during brunch. Jesus. Yeah, and that was kind of like fun, sexy champagne. Yeah. Bottomless, but people didn't get it. People are like, oh, it's bottomless mimosas yeah so i served so much champagne with juice on the side oh, okay but you know would you like, only do the juice on the side or would you add it in no juice on the side they yeah. can do it themselves okay there you go yeah i like that um but that happens all the time you know people are like i feel like most of the time they're not going to spend money on the wine that they're doing things to yeah so that's fine yeah. like drink what you want to drink i don't care like yeah i'll drink what i'm gonna drink and it's going to be good rosé without jalapenos. Yeah, it's it's just a dangerous it's a dangerous precedent I got to say because yeah. it is expecting I mean it's fine obviously do what you want. Yeah. But it's uh, I think for their palates, yeah. They're going down a dangerous road because yeah. like yeah, you can add hot sauce to give anything pop. It's almost like overusing cayenne. Yeah. Like you can put cayenne in anything and not yeah. notice it. You just want to give it a little pop. Mm -hmm. You can do it with MSG. Mm. But like MSG. That's a you're you're on a tightrope then. You got to know how to use it. You got to know like but to have if you like want everything like I need everything to have like a jalapeno pop. It's yeah. like, well, maybe you should no, just calm chill down. Out, yeah. yeah. Calm down. Putting ice in like, your yeah, wine. Like, Eat some grits. Sounds like yeah. someone wants like too much control, you know? Like uh they yes, they like jalapenos, but they want everyone else to like jalapenos <laughs> as much as they do. Yeah, I think putting ice in your wine also falls into this general practice. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, which I absolutely see often. Sure. Which, you know, whatever. If you want to water down, if you want a little colder, if you want to shock your palate, then fine. Yeah. You do you. And since we talked about, you know, different producers mixing red wines and white wines mm. to kind of create their rosés, what yeah. about people doing it themselves? That's a dangerous business, too. That is a dangerous do business. You see, do you see that? Is that, um, is that on your radar at all? No, not I've really. Seen my brother does I've it. seen people, <laughs> oh, like, fuck great. around and, like, yeah, let's mix it just to be, like, funny. I don't think Yeah, I think are, I'm going to do that. Yeah. Like, when my next house guest, I'm just, I'm going to just <laughs> pour regular rosé, but I'm going to say that I made it or, like, I, that I mixed it and, like, uh, <laughs> see what I, see where, where it, it goes. I'm going to see where it goes. Yeah. Like, uh, I'll take it too far if, yeah. if I can. All right, I hope that's me who's coming over <laughs> oh, for shit. that. Um, what else you got? What else is booze-worthy out there? Oh, man. <laughs> family, uh, family Sue's Cruise Company. 
mm. for storing man's corpse <laughs> in a drink cooler for six days where it decomposed. In the cooler? Oh. I feel like I guess that... Florida Cruise Company. There you go. Back to Florida. Yeah. Uh, stored a, pat- a dead patriarch's body in a beverage cooler for six days. This would be uh, Celebrity Cruises Incorporated. The Florida uh, Files. Just to like uh, keep it fresh or because they weren't... So every cruise ship does have a operating more... Like they... They have a more yeah, because people die. Dies, yeah, you like, can't just like keep it out in the open. Yeah, people die on on boats all the time. Like uh, yeah. some would say, it's like a like an accelerated like like if you want to die, like, if you want to accelerate your death, you Book just go cruise. on a cruise. Goddamn! <laughs> but I guess like the, all true. the things to go wrong on this fucking cruise ship, their 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 uh, morgue was out of order, so oh, they. Shit. They threw him in. <laughs> I'm frightened of they cruises, man. I'm not going to like a, like, I'm thinking like a low boy or something like that. Like, uh, oh god. Um, Why don't like, they just sort of a low boy in a, in a in a body bag in the low boy? And like, uh, <laughs> body bag in a low boy. That's the name of your rap album, dude. They forget <laughs> the worst part. No shit. They forgot. No, they, they forgot didn't. about the body. Oh my lord! So what? when they docked, like uh, the woman's like, "Where's the body?" And all the workers and like they docked and they clocked out and went home. And, and the wife is still find... like deboarding and looking for her dead husband. Oh shit! And so they had to search the building, and that's where they found. That's where they found it. Yeah. Wow. Fucking sewer. Whatever happened? Just putting people over. Overboard, right? That's yeah. like that was like an honorable way yeah. to do it. That's what I was thinking. Like, why wouldn't I'm you just toss that dude like uh, like a burning arrow? Yeah, I don't know. Somebody could sing a song. Hmm. Wow, there needs to be yeah some sort of maritime law where you can do that. Like, uh, or it should be like standard. You just get rid get get rid of that body on a cruise. Like, it's you signed a you signed a waiver when you got on this boat. Like. Uh, yeah. But yeah, his body was so badly decomposed that they couldn't do like embalmment or anything like that. Was there a low boy not working either? Skin was green. I mean, it was like, I think like a morgue, it's like, it's got to run like, uh, like below freezing or something. I don't know. Yeah. You got to put a body on ice if you're going to preserve it. Think of like, like a fish monger. Topics I didn't think we'd cover today. (laughs) That's one of them. The one thing that I've always learned from like fish mongers, like, uh. Over the years is like, like there's the idea of fresh fish is often like kind of an illusion because there are times that you're the, the fresh fish that you're getting has been like on ice, but on the docks for mm. two weeks, three weeks, sometimes mm-hmm. on ice, like co- completely submerged mm-hmm. in ice. So why can't you do that with a, with an old man? Mm. Oh, okay. Lubbock, Texas. Birthplace uh, of Buddy Holly. Wow, dairy, uh, a uh, dairy farm explosion just killed off eighteen thousand uh, dairy cattle. I saw that. That is wild. Oh, sad. That's a. That is. Can you think like eight eighteen thousand people is like a big concert? Mm-hmm. Or that'd be 18, like eighteen thousand, right? Yeah, roughly. Where the cows are like fucking fifteen hundred pounds. It's insane. Anyway, police say. Or like the investigators say that like uh, so like I don't know what, what what do you call this kind of like uh, operation? It's 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 like a fat. I mean it's a factory basically where these cows are they're not like uh, free like all the dairy cows that I've ever been to 
luckily from like the restaurant industry they're like really well treated cows and like they're hand hand milked and shit but then like the the milk producing facilities are like I, I don't know. Like, uh, you go to the PETA website if you wanted to and, and look this shit up. Yeah, they're, like they're raised in stalls, um, like, or in, they live in stalls. So, like, uh, they have, like, this vacuum machine. Like, the whole the whole area where they live is just, like, milking them, feeding them. And then there's, like, this under underground, like, uh, vacuum apparatus that basically cleans all their shit and, like, uh, the methane out of the mm-hmm. air. And when it... When it fails the whole area the whole living area fills up with methane in theory this is what they think happened and just a little like electric spark the whole fucking thing exploded unfortunately it's like eighteen thousand dairy cows that just like sat there and like suffocated from like smoke or like the the, the lucky ones were the ones that it got got to explode Jeez, <laughs> I did the I did the math on that so though. Sad. Like, yeah, it's like I mean, I that's, number two. I, I didn't just really like these are like a, at least they're they're not like cattle, like you know, like uh, beef cattle, like they're dairy cows. So they're in you think like in a way they like they're like employees, you know, like they 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 I guess like I guess like like a dairy farmer, a corporate large like facility dairy farmer would tell you like ah, these are the, these are the lucky cows. See, they they're not gonna. We're not making beggars out of them. <laughs> they got a job to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We gave them a job, and they're doing it. They feel a purpose. They're not happy. They're, like, yeah, no, no, they're, they're not, not happy as fucking cows. <laughs> like, uh, pound for pound, though, it's, uh, like, I, I want to stress this. Like, uh, pound for pound, 18,000, like, dairy dairy cattle is equivalent to 150,000 adult human beings in North, like, in North America, hundred and fifty. Imagine one hundred and fifty thousand dead people <laughs> at once. Fuck. I thought this was the Rose episode being about springtime. <laughs> no, it's booze news. That was that right. was, Rose was a few minutes is. ago. Uh, <laughs> all right, this is. Bear with me. Okay. Oh boy. Anything else boozeworthy out there? I think that's it. Uh, one other thing I got is. Uh, do pink spirits really drive sales? And this is mm. driven by continued growth of rosé wine as well as visual appeal in the glass and on social media. The color pink has spread its way across clear spirit categories. This article comes from 750.com uh, and this is from philosophies of rosé all day to panic over rosé shortages. Mm. Mm. It's safe to say that the color pink has become a fixture in the wine industry According to IWSR Drinks Market Analysis, rosé wine sales volume grew by 118% from 2015 to 2020, and it's expected to increase by almost 70% from 2020 to 2024. But now, combined with the rise of flavored vodkas, a gin renaissance throughout Europe, and the Instagram-fueled drive to capture and share beautiful cocktail images, the drink pink trend has spilled over to the spirits industry pretty interesting uh so you'll be doing you'll be doing wine wednesday in may and stuff and that kind of yes, goes through the summer i will um i haven't released what the may theme is going to be but last minute i kind of switched april april was going to be loire valley mm. but i switched it to rosé because i feel like april and rosé you know perfect um yep. so i think i'm gonna do um loire valley for may 
Oh, killer. Yeah. Killer. Can we break that news right here? Yeah. This will air on Friday. Yeah. I guess there it I'm, is. I'm committing. There it is. Yeah. We're, we're breaking the news. You can text me, by the way, if that changes no, between now and I'll, I'll do Loire. I love Loire. The like Wine Wednesdays at the Marsh House for May, we're breaking news, uh, will be <laughs> featuring the Loire Valley. So we've talked about it on the show. Known for aromatic wines, known for Cab Franc, known for Pinot, known yeah. for what? Gamay's. All kinds Blanc. of stuff. Sauv Blanc. Yeah. Um, so there'll be a lot of really tasty aromatic wines on display for that. Last thing. So I got to give a shout out to uh, Liquid Gold listener, Christine. Sent a uh, a menu in from this um, speakeasy, in which are you a speakeasy? If you say speakeasy on the menu, I'm not so sure. <laughs> uh, but it was a speakeasy in New Mexico that they found at like the bottom of a liquor store. Good place for a speakeasy. A lot of liquor available. And she sent me the menu, and it had some really kind of fascinating, but maybe too complicated. But also kind of cool cocktail. So one was called Ola Gato, and it's Ciroc's uh, infused vodka, Midori melon liqueur. We all know Midori. Uh, Liquid Alchemist passion fruit, fresh lemon and orange, Prosecco. That one sounds good, but then there's some really... What is the Ciroc flavor? Right. They don't want to mention that. Oh, okay. Um, (laughs) Can you name Ciroc flavors? I mean, I just know that there's coconut. Not bad. I don't know why I know. Here's one. I imagine they have a lot. There aren't a lot of companies that have a lot of flavored vodkas now. I imagine when they do have flavored vodkas, they go, they're they're going to, you want to produce a lot of them. There's one that's um, Michter's rum, house banana brown sugar, Angostura chocolate, topped with fresh nutmeg and smoked hickory. That's, these are pretty involved. That that was that was kind of the point she was making. She was like, "What am I supposed to order at this place? The cocktails are so complicated." Weird. This uh, good soak at Ojo, and that's in reference to Ojo Caliente, this amazing place out in uh, the middle of New Mexico, middle of nowhere. Uh, but this is plantation pineapple, uh, pinion rum. S- that seems super interesting. Uh, coconut cream, muddled avocado, cucumber, pineapple juice, lemon juice. Served with crushed ice. So, okay. and so I'll, I'll throw yeah. out a shout out to Founder Speakeasy. They're doing some really interesting stuff. Good. But is this something that when you guys are out and you're ordering cocktails, do you see cocktails like this and you're like, I don't know, it's like too much going on. So does it turn you off? I mean, I there's tend, too many ingredients on I a menu. I tend to want turn something simpler. Yeah. But I mean, I'd be interested to try those. Yeah. But it's like, are you stoked? No. <laughs> I'll try them. Right. But. That, that was sometimes when I start well seeing executed. too many when I see start seeing too many ingredients, I think that they like messed up at some step and they didn't want to start over, so they just started adding more shit. Mm-hmm. And that's a real thing that happens a yeah. lot of the time. Yeah, usually when it's like, what does this need? It means you add something. Yeah. When a lot of times it's like maybe take something away. Yeah. yeah. Like don't edit, split edit, spirits edit. or exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's like, like when, you, when you tone it down. Chisel it. When you tell like when you tell a lie. And then you like tell a lie to cover it up, and then you just tell a web. You're, you're caught in a web, yeah. yeah, web of lies. Web of lies. Mm-hmm. That's good. That's the that's the good that's name. A good cocktail, good cocktail name. name. <laughs> <laughs> All right, with eight ingredients, and then but it's really three. <laughs> yeah, it's also more opportunity to fuck it up. You know, right, yeah. right. So the more things that are stored in delis too, mm. then you got to make sure the deli yeah. maintenance is key. 
and you're opening yourself up to yeah, go mistakes. in there. Where you be like the 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 cocktail like uh, the cocktail guest that like it's like open up that cooler. Let me let me get a look in there. What's the date on that? Like <laughs> this is you're like running your finger let me around smell the bar. That like, <laughs> <laughs> like the worst guest yeah. ever. That would be just goes behind Wait, the I bar. I don't recommend like, doing he's that. Like, oh man, like throw down. Like, these, sir, like, we're gonna call the cops. Rodent, rodent, these rodent <laughs> monitors. And... Well, this was a, a lot of fun. Todd, thank you so yeah, much for yeah, being here. For Our guest, Todd Johnson, the beverage director at the at the Thompson Hotel. Go see him at the Marsh House. Come up and see us at L.A. Jackson. We're having a lot of fun over there. Too much. Um, go see Kenneth at Husk. And uh, as always, follow us, give us a rating, subscribe on your favorite podcast app, check us out at the website liquidgold.show, go back through the archives. We mentioned Calvados today. We have an episode on Calvados going back probably about three years ago or so. We've got an episode on the Jack Rose, I think that we did a couple years ago. Um, So there's a bunch of topics that we've covered over the years, so check out the archives over there at liquidgold.show. And as always, you can check out everything going on with We Own This Town at weownthistown.net and Michael will be premiering new music, I'm sure, on the music show. You might even hear some of the session that was going on here downstairs featuring local pedal steel great Luke Schneider. <laughs> uh, so thanks to Jess Hash for the logo and the t-shirt. And we're glad Pablo's doing better. And shout out to Jess Backus down in Charleston. Upright T-Rex music for the tunes. My name's Mike Wolf, and he is... I'm Kenneth. We're out of here. Thanks for listening today, and we'll see you next time on Liquid Gold.